Our gospel this reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John. It's chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And uh, we pick up the story of Jesus' disciples on that Resurrection Sunday, uh, right where we left off last week. Here now this reading of God's Word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, one who was called the twin, one of the twelve, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were, sh- were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord, for which we say, thanks be to God. Each year on this Sunday after Easter, this passage is the appointed gospel reading for this Sunday. Each year, the week after we learn about the resurrection, we begin revisiting Jesus' post-resurrection appearances until he ascends into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And each year, preachers all over the world think, am I going to preach a sermon about Thomas again? It's unavoidable to not, like, you can't avoid dealing with Thomas in this passage And each year, on the Sunday after Lent, in in, in preparation for this day, I think, no, this will be the year when I'm going to not preach this passage. I'll preach the one that Weldon read, or I'll preach one of the epistle passages that speak about resurrection. But then I get involved in the planning process, and there's always something else to say. There's things to say about Thomas and his doubts. There are uh, things about his demeanor and his stature that are appropriate to revisit 
When we meet Him, we see that He seeks information. He seeks an experience. He seeks understanding. He's not taking the words of the disciples at face value. He wants something to validate their confession. He seeks His own experience of the risen Lord, and a week later, that is what He gets. Now, as it happens, I bet you... Each one of you, and I will include myself in this, wanted our own experience with the risen Lord in some way or another, didn't we? Don't we? We've all sought an experience with the Lord, and that is why, in part, we are here. Because we have, and we seek such an experience again. And I suppose that's one good reason why we Revisit Thomas each year to remind ourselves to seek authentic experiences with the Lord. But this passage is not just about Thomas. There's Jesus, and there are disciples as well. There's a lot going on here. The disciples are gathered on the first day of the week. They're gathered on the evening after the the resurrection. It's the same day. This is all happening on that first Sunday. They're gathered on Saturday afternoon, but they are still afraid. They've locked the doors. Looking back to Thursday, you think about everything you've had happen since Thursday, and maybe you've been busy and maybe not, but the disciples had a very remarkable Passover meal on Thursday night. They spent Thursday night in the garden. There was an arrest a trial, a crucifixion, a death. And that was all on Friday. And then Saturday, they spend the day wondering. We don't know what they did, but we know that the Lord was not with them. And then Sunday morning, news starts to come to them that, wait, 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 He's alive? Jesus is alive? He's risen? He's resurrected? Maybe they knew something about this. Maybe they were thinking about their experience with Lazarus. But they've had a big few days. With Jesus' appearances here, they're starting to come into a knowledge about what it is that's going on and, and starting to grasp a little bit of an understanding about what all this means. As you turn pages quickly in Scripture, you see that they learn right away what it all means, and they get busy dealing with that. But this story, in this story of Jesus' first appearance to them, we learn that Jesus is not dead. He's, a, he's not yet ascended to the Father, but that his, his resurrection is good news for everyone. And their understanding is going to come, and how they go to work with this understanding, is at hand. Now, Jesus shows up in this passage as well. Jesus shows up behind locked doors. Jesus, who breaks down walls, who makes his presence known in places where we're not sure it should be, and definitely shows up in places where we least expect it, Jesus shows up in this passage. And the disciples do not expect him to show up. Which is a good word for us as well. Isn't it nice that God shows up in places where we're not sure He's going to be, but provides something for us nevertheless? 
Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you. It's like those angels at the beginning of the Gospel who remind those who they speak to, Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. And then he gives them some instructions. The disciples learn that Jesus really is making all things new. They learn that it's time for them to start getting busy and spreading the good news. It's time for them to share the gospel and to forgive sins and to make disciples and to to baptize them, to borrow from Matthew. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Specifically here he commands them to forgive sins, but we know what this means. It means I'm resurrected. Disciples, go get busy. Tell people about what all this means. But Thomas wasn't there the first time. Thomas. Now, in the Gospel of John, Thomas shows up a few times before he's the center of this story. He shows up in chapter 11, verse 16, and he speaks sort of bravely on behalf of the disciples. He shows up in chapter 14, verse 1, where he speaks up again. And as one commentator put it, we learn... That, that, that Thomas is going to say what he thinks. He's a, a straight shooter, respected on all sides, if you will. Thomas is going to tell it like he sees it. And so what does Thomas see? Thomas sees a bunch of disciples who claim that they've seen Jesus who is resurrected, but are meeting behind locked doors. So it's possible if we're reading from the disciples' point of view, that Thomas is saying, I need to see this for myself. Now Thomas gets a bad rap, right? There's a certain sense in which we don't want to be a doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap for saying he needs to, to see it himself. But consider this. The disciples have been told by Mary that Jesus was resurrected. They've seen Jesus show up behind the walls of their locked room, they had seen all that had happened in his life. And even though Thomas didn't see the resurrected Jesus himself, these disciples end up going about their life for a week until they show back up in that room. And this time, even this time, the door is closed. It makes me wonder... They'd seen the Lord, but was anything different? They'd seen the Lord, but has anything changed? And it it makes us wonder. Maybe Thomas was skeptical and needed to see Jesus himself because of that. Now, when we were in school, most of us will remember that we were taught something. uh, Taught something from Plato and, and Socrates a way that they taught, called the Socratic method, right? Even if we don't exactly know what it is, we we know enough that, yeah, it's important, I should remember that. So I looked it up on the internet, so this is correct, I promise. The Socratic method is uh, a, a form of competitive, or a cooperative, argumentative dialogue between individuals based on 
asking and answering questions to stimulate critical thinking and to draw out ideas and underlying assumptions. The Socratic method basically means asking good questions whenever possible. And as it turns out, in most of your life, in your work, in your education, in your family, in your friendships, in your career, and especially in your faith, asking good questions is really important. Because in asking good questions, we reveal things that we didn't know we were thinking, and we reveal things that we couldn't see. And we recover uh, significant and meaningful answers to difficult and important questions. So journalists, scientists, people in business, people in education, and in our faith. We learn and we grow and we experience the power and presence of God because we ask questions and we seek. We seek and we we look intently for the things we need to see. And in faith, we turn over stones. We sit with our prayers we, we seek out experiences about how God might be at work until we figured it out. And then, hopefully, upon discovering these answers, discovering the things we were searching for, we do something about it. In faith, our faith leads us to knowledge, which begets understanding. And faith and knowledge and understanding should compel us to act, right? I think this is how life works for most of us. I think it's how it works for me and for you. And I think maybe, possibly, part of what was at play with Thomas and these disciples is the interplay of faith and knowledge and understanding and action, or maybe even inaction. Or maybe they just find themselves on the cusp of needing to act. Because Thomas meets these disciples who say they've seen the Lord, but they're still behind a locked door. Mary has seen Jesus. The disciples know they've risen. Thomas doesn't believe it because he hasn't seen the evidence yet. And when you think about it, maybe the evidence he is seeing is they're not acting like he's resurrected. So no wonder he has questions. No wonder he wants to see it for himself. They're not giving any evidence at all because if Jesus is resurrected, there's no reason to hide you didn't steal a body. If Jesus is resurrected, everything is now different. We can't just keep living the same way we have. If the resurrection has happened, why isn't anything different for these disciples? And so Thomas wants to see for himself and who can blame him? I was listening to a, a podcast on my phone this week, and a podcast is just an interview, a conversation, uh, this one I was listening to. And it was a, a, a reporter interviewing someone who had written a book, uh, and the person she was interviewing used to be in journalism, and now he's in seminary. And they, both of these people in the story were from Christian homes, uh, but they had moved away from their faith and have since kind of come back to it. The interviewer, whose name is Anna Marie Cox, She was talking about her return to faith. And she spoke about the most significant person in her life as she was moving from being a skeptical journalist to re-engaging as a faithful person. 
This, this friend of hers said, in retrospect, you know, I always felt guilty about not giving you the hard sell when it comes to Christianity. I always wondered if I should have uh, opened up the Roman road or, or given you a tract of four spiritual laws. Should I, have, should I have made you ask if you wanted to be saved? And her response struck me. She said that the way you lived out your faith day by day by day, that was what mattered most as I was rediscovering my own. The way that, in terms of this passage, the way that the resurrected Christ caused you to act differently is what made all the difference in the world to her. And maybe in this passage, as the disciples know Jesus is risen, but haven't done anything about it yet, maybe that is what Thomas wanted to see too. Maybe he doesn't want someone to tell him that something amazing has happened. Maybe he wants them to show him something amazing has happened by the way that they lived. And maybe that's a problem we need to admit as well. You see, I love the church, and I love all of you, and I love the Lord's church, and I love this church in particular. And frankly, there are a few places that I feel more at home and more comfortable than sitting in a pew as a worshiping person. I enjoy studying scripture with one another and asking questions and discovering answers and, and, and praying and faith, and, 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 and I wouldn't have gotten through my life without the fellowship and support of a loving, dynamic, believing church family. But day after day and week after week, we look at the church in America and it is shrinking. We look at our attendance and wonder what happened. And oftentimes we find easy things to blame. But is blaming things helpful? It might make us feel better to talk about someone else's decision to travel to this place or to do that thing instead of come to church. But the fact of the matter is, that's their decision. And we can't change the decisions they make. But we can consider ourselves the disciples in this passage. We tell people, we tell others that we've seen the Lord, but is anything different? We claim we have the answers, but... But, but do we? Do we know who God loves and what God wants? And we're the ones who have been commanded to go and make disciples, but are we enlisting someone else to do it? We have this treasure in earthen vessels, but what are we doing with it? Maybe we are like the disciples who are doing the same old things we've always done. And so there's a bunch of Thomases out there saying, Jesus is risen? I'm going to have to see that for myself. And the implication is, of course, that maybe they're not seeing it in you and in me. And I'll admit, this is a really hard way to read this passage. But we ought to at least try every once in a while, right? It's not a totally unfair way to read the passage. And if it is a fair way to read the passage, then what are we going to do with the faith and the knowledge and the understanding we have? How is God calling us to get busy and to get to work? 
Each year on the Sunday after Easter, we read this passage. And most years, it's easy enough for the preacher to get up and say, the opposite of doubt is not faith, it's certainty. And we can focus on Thomas, and we can see what we can find. And maybe if you're here next year, that's what you'll get. But if we zoom out a little bit, and we place ourselves in that upper room, and we think, maybe I'm not the Thomas in this story this time. Maybe we see something else. Maybe it's time for us to get to work on acting like Jesus died and rose again for us. Maybe it's time for us to believe that that has the power to change the world. Maybe, maybe it's time for that. And so on this rainy Sunday morning, when we're behind closed doors and we'll head home probably to stay indoors this day, we have to consider our choice. Will the Thomases in our life seek proof from us? Will they see proof in us? Because of the faith and the knowledge and the understanding, can they be changed without having seen? Or maybe in the way that we live, they will see and they will believe and they will be blessed because the risen Lord is powerful enough to show himself through us even still today. Let us pray. Gracious and loving and holy God, we give you thanks for this day. And we pray uh, for the courage to live as you're calling us to. Lord, you are resurrected. You are alive. And your life has made all the difference in the world. And Lord, may it make all the difference for us and may we help make it help help to help it to make a difference in the lives in the world and in the lives of others on this day and in each day ahead. Lord, lead us and guide us and grant us wisdom and courage to know how you are doing so, so that we might express and share your love with all who need it today and for every day that lies ahead. Lord, give us yourself so that we can share you with others. This, O oh Lord, we pray today and trust that you will hear and trust that you will respond to us. So we offer it in your name. Amen.